so yesterday we were talking about this analogy, right? The, the metaphor of how the person who's in charge of the entire country and commands the loyalty because he always cares for and ensures that everyone has exactly what they need when they need it, that person at his time of need, the, the, the inhabitants and the, the subjects, the dependents on him, they will listen to his will. And this is the analogy of how the, the body will listen to the soul, so to speak, when the soul already has been feeding the body exactly what it needs in the proper quantities, not giving it too little, not giving it too much, then the body will have the ability to, the body will want to, will listen to the actual soul. So we're on page 267, and I believe, and we're up to number four. He orders his decision-making faculty to accept and follow everything he commands and to do so promptly. This faculty then utilizes his other internal resources and limbs as it was commanded without rebelling. He also commands this faculty not to turn towards demons of his imagination, not to accept or believe what they advise without first consulting with his intellect. In essence, what we're describing over here is many different layers of consciousness. Right, so if you ask a scientist to define consciousness, right, you're going to get different answers. Some people will say, "Well, it actually, doesn't even exist consciousness." Right, we're all in a simulation, and and consciousness itself is, is part of that simulation. <clears throat> but when we try to define what consciousness is, we can talk about different layers and different elements of consciousness. Right. So in terms of having your, I guess your, the way we would describe it today would be, the the more primitive part of the brain, like the earlier brain development, right, which is makes more primitive decisions and more very, very basic decisions, right? That are necessary for living. And then we have the more advanced part of the brain, right? So the more advanced part of the brain wants to be a higher level of consciousness, but then we get to an even higher level of consciousness. And that would be, let's say the spirit itself. So in this, only if the intellect endorses what these thoughts suggest, will he accept them? Otherwise he must rebel against them. So the intellect is also a lower level of consciousness than the soul or the highest level of the soul. In this manner, the decision-making faculty accepts and fulfills the determinations of the intellect. The saintly person further refines his thinking faculties and clears them of any prior damaging thoughts regarding mundane affairs. He commands his imagination to project only images of the highest spiritual quality that can be found with the help of his memory faculty. This is a fascinating idea. We think of imagination, we think of our ability to, to make up stories. Right, and, and things of that nature. But the reality is when you think of imagination, the way that the rabbis used imagination traditionally, it also included, I shouldn't say it like that, really the, the word that they're using in Hebrew, the koach ad-dimyon, it's not properly translated or sufficiently translated by saying imagination. Because imagination, as I said, we have this perception of like imagining some really cool stories taking place or things of that sort. But koach ad-dimyon actually means the power to have abstract thought. Right? So using your power of abstract thought to really be able to, to project these images of the highest spiritual quality, right? Using the memory, what your memory banks have actually stored up. His imagination then invokes images that aid him in attaining the desired divinity at right? the higher level of religion, such as the image of Mount Sinai during the giving of the Torah, or the image of Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah at the time of the binding of Isaac, or Moshe's tabernacle, or the sacrificial order, or the resting of the divine glory upon the temple and so forth. 
Now, we don't necessarily mean that you're supposed to build a picture in your mind's eye of what the divine glory looked like when it was sitting on top, uh, you know, upon the temple, right? The concept of like having the clouds of glory on the temple. Like picture like, okay, there's a cloud and there's a beautiful tabernacle. It doesn't necessarily have to mean picturing a physical entity. But what it means is picturing the idea of being in the presence of God. So that can be more abstract. It doesn't have to be as, you know, a real picture in your mind. I have more of an abstract feeling. He then commands his memory faculty to retain this type of image and not forget it. He admonishes his thoughts and their demons not to abuse the truth and raise doubts. Demons in this context, by the way, is a reference to thoughts that are taking you away from the proper path. The way that we explain whenever somebody does something wrong in life, whenever somebody does something that they knowingly, it's really the wrong thing to do, but they convince themselves that possibly it's the right thing to do. And that's why they engage in this activity. What caused them to think that it's the right thing to do is what we call a ruach shtus, a spirit of foolishness, right? Which he's describing it as a demon, right? But it's not something external, it's something internal. Is, isn't it like Yetzirah? Is it different? So it, it's a little bit complicated, actually, because the, the word Yetzirah depends on what you mean when you say Yetzirah, what I mean when I say Yetzirah. Some Talmudic passages seem to refer to the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, and mean something. Others seem to mean something else. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I read the, the Garfield comics, right? Was it Garfield or was it Heathcliff? I think it was Heathcliff, actually, right? Heathcliff was, yeah, Heathcliff. Heathcliff was the cat that wasn't, wasn't a particularly well-behaved cat, right? Am I right, Jonathan? Am I making a mistake? I think both would uh, fit that description. Both would fit that description. So one of them, I don't remember which one, had, they had this uh, cartoon where basically he was trying to decide should he do the right thing or not. And there was like this little mini him on one shoulder with like wings. And there was like a, an angel, the good angel telling him, don't do it. And then there was like the other mini him who was the evil one who was like with the horns and telling him, yeah, do it. He almost invariably would listen to the to the evil one, or someone would stop him right before he listens to the evil one. Um, so, like in my mind, like that was what the evil evil inclination looked like, and that's a good inclination, right? They're like little mini mini us. Um, it's not clear. It's not clear what exactly we define as the evil inclination. It could just mean something as simple as the physical body's desires. In other words, your desires to engage with the physical world. Right. That kind of colors and gives biases and helps make decisions about, you know, listen, I want to go give charity. I know it's a great mitzvah to give charity. And then slowly, like you're getting convinced that you shouldn't give charity. Now, what's really if you dug deep and we did some psychoanalysis, what's pushing you not to give the charity? As well, on some level, it's because you want to spend the money on your own physical needs, right? And some sort of physical need. So therefore, is that a Yitzhar Hara, the evil inclination? It, no, it could just mean that your physical urges, which is, as, as we've discussed in the past, your physical urges and your desires to satisfy physicality and materialistic desires in this world, that's actually set up as a counter force so that when we choose to do the right thing, we get rewarded. But that being said, the, that desire to do the wrong thing, it's not like such a sophisticated idea, like there's some sort of an external force or evil inclination. We don't necessarily have, depends how we define it. That, that's basically what I'm going to answer you. Now, is it possible that the ruach shtus, these foolish thoughts that creep into our minds that allow us to make very, very short-sighted decisions that are not healthy for us long-term, and we all know that they're not healthy for us long-term, and the only reason why we're making these foolish decisions is because we're overwhelmed by short-term biases, right? A recency bias or whatever it might be, right? People make bad decisions all the time, right? 
You know, that's a, a whole field of study over the last 20 years by, you know, Dan Ariely, the concept that economics, they always thought that people are rational. And they realized people don't actually make rational decisions. And you can bake that into the economic system as well, right? So people don't make rational decisions because we use lots of different biases that affect our ability. So the ones that allow us to make the such short-term decisions for a momentary instant of pleasure, physical pleasure, that's gone a moment later. And we know it's not the right thing to do, but we still do it, right? Saying something nasty about someone else. You heard something nasty about someone else and you say it and it makes you feel good because for a couple of minutes, everyone's like, wow, he's got the juicy stuff, right? He's got the real good gossip, right? But down the line, you know, 10 minutes later, you feel terribly guilty about it, right? And like, was that momentary pleasure really worth it? And that's not even talking about what the reward and punishment concept will leave that out. Even your guilt, I think, would overwhelm it, right? But yet we still make these decisions every day, right? That's called a ruachtas. That's the spirit of foolishness that enters us so that we, our short-term benefit completely overwhelms what our true, true uh, cost-benefit analysis should teach us, which is that we shouldn't engage in these activities. Um, okay. He then commands his memory faculty to retain this type of image, these images that he's using to help him in terms of advancing, in terms of uh, you know, creating a better world and creating a better person and not forget it. He admonishes his thoughts and their demons not to abuse the truth and raise doubts. He also admonishes his tendencies towards anger and lust, not to lead his decision-making faculty astray, nor to arouse him to anger or lust. In other words, when we talk about anger or lust, anger or lust are different qualities, different character characteristics, personal characteristics that people could have. Some of us have them, this one at a greater level, that one at a lower level. Some of us have both at a greater level, both at a lower level. Everybody's unique, everybody's different in terms of their challenges. That being said, there's two different ways in which your anger and lust can mess you up, can lead you down the wrong path. One is very overt, right? Obviously lust can take you to straight adultery, right? Okay, that would be very clearly your lust is taking you down that path. But sometimes we make the wrong decisions and we're not ready to contemplate adultery. Our lust is not going to bring us that far, but our lust might make us make the wrong decision because on some level, we're getting approval from someone whom we feel good about when they think highly of us. So therefore we make the wrong decision. Not that we would ever actually commit anything, God forbid, on like, you know, actual adultery, but the desires could actually lead us astray as well. So we can talk about it in a very overt way and more of a implicit or more of a um, covert type of way in which our anger or characteristics of anger, characteristics of lust can lead us astray, but not in a very direct way, because sometimes we're, we're more powerful and they're not going to be able to impact us directly, but they can impact us in a very roundabout way. And if it does that enough times, then it actually can lead us down the, the real bad path, right? To do things even in a very overt fashion as well. Okay. Take care, guys. Great to see you, Audrey. Be well. Good night.